Amen. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, rather, chapter one. We went through another book of the Bible. I love preaching through books of the Bible. I can't wait. Man, in ten years, where are we going to be? How much of the Bible will we have gone through and preached? Uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's exciting to go through another book. And so we go from 1 Thessalonians on to 2 Thessalonians. And Paul is going to reiterate more of the same. He's going to talk about the same things that he talked about in the first letter. He's just going to go into greater detail. And what I love here in 2 Thessalonians is when he kicks this letter off, he shows his gratitude. And so coming into this Thanksgiving season, I thought, man, what a great... Uh, what a great chapter, what a great passage for us to go into in, in this season. Listen, there's enough to complain about. Isn't that right? How, anybody need something else to complain about? You want me to give you something? No? We've got enough to complain about. But you know what? We have more to be thankful for. More. We have so much to be thankful for. And I, I want to uh, set the tone of coming into November and into this Thanksgiving season uh, in the way that Paul set the tone with this small young church. And I think it's going to be encouraging to you. I could title this message uh, many different ways. Um, I landed on why, what's it say here? Why I am so thankful for you. That's really how he starts Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, in this letter, Paul is saying, why I am so thankful for you. I could also title it, being thankful for suffering. This message could also be titled, thankful for suffering. Um, I think that we have our gratitude backwards. Gratitude's an important word, isn't it? Isn't gratitude important? Come on. <laughs> Hey, online, gratitude is important, isn't it? It's so important. God bless. Zoom in on this, Carmen. We're at me and the camera for a little while. Y'all, y'all wake up. No, it, it's important. Gratitude's very important. Um, but what if we were putting our, our emphasis on the wrong thing? What if we were being grateful for the wrong things? Hey, here we go, another Thanksgiving, as if anybody even decorates for Thanksgiving anymore. I mean, good, goodness gracious, I mean, Christmas lights going up everywhere, right? How many have their Christmas tree up? Come on, don't be, <laughs> man, some of y'all are like, <laughs> say something, say it, go ahead. Man, y'all are happy about that. <laughs> All of you that put your Christmas trees up already, we're really anxious to tell everyone. You're just so thankful that I gave you the outlet to tell everyone, my Christmas tree's up, just in case anybody wants how many of you already put your Christmas tree up out there online? Comment below with Christmas tree emojis. Uh, our Christmas tree is not up. We're like the worst. Me and Sarah are like, it's Christmas Eve. Where's that box of ornaments from last year? <laughs> Some of the kids have, have made me better. You know, like we have to do it for the children. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bad about that stuff. But we're getting better at it. And um, we're moving things around at our house. We moved into a little bit of a bigger house than what we had. So currently, uh, all of the furniture that we had is everywhere other than the main level. So our main level is a blank slate. So it needs like, it needs a Christmas tree. It needs some love. So we're working on it. Pray for us that we're able to decorate uh, this week. But anyway, maybe we could be thankful and grateful for the wrong things and putting the emphasis in the wrong places. So this morning, I promise you, you're going to be challenged by this text. Go ahead and take a breath. Go ahead and just, like, welcome the Holy Spirit in. 
Um, it's, 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 it's like the cough syrup, if you will. I think reading this passage, going through what we're going through as a nation, as a country, as a church, this is going to be a little bit of bitter cough syrup. You know what I mean? You're, you're gonna, it's going to get close to your nose, and you're going to be like, <laughs> you're going to want to push it away. And then the Holy Spirit's going to be like, here I come. And then he may even want do one of these like, here comes the airplane. And then he's going to be like, open your mouth. <clears throat> you know what I mean? My four, one of my four-year-olds has been taking an antibiotic recently. And she was like on her last dose. And she's like, daddy, no, I don't want it. You could take this. It's important, right? You got to finish it out. If you don't finish it out, it's not effective. Well, this is like Paul going into this second letter. He's like, come on, here we go. You ready? Here. <laughs> and, and what you're going to taste this morning, it's going to taste bitter. You're gonna, we're going to read the text and we're going to go into waters that you're like uncertain of. And then your mind's going to tell you that it's not good. But after the healing, listen to me, the healing that will take place if you will actually accept the words that I'm going to read to you and the message that I'm going to bring to you, it will provide healing. You'll be thankful that you swallowed it later, but probably not right now. All right? <laughs> I think I've built it up enough. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 1. We're going to read the whole passage, okay? So have your Bibles open or read it on the screen if you don't. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 3 is where we'll focus. Um, so just kind of keen your attention there, and then we'll continue to read the rest. We are, he uses interesting words here, we are bound. I could say it this way, we are obligated. We feel a massive need to thank God always for you, brethren. As it is meet or as it is acceptable because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Come on. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Wouldn't that be incredible? I'm going to stop and preach the message right now. Wouldn't that be something if in our church it's like, I, I'm obligated to thank the Lord for all of you because you're just loving each other so much. This is incredible. Okay, moving on. Here it comes. You're just loving each other so much. Here it is. I'm telling you, here it comes. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Verse 5. Which is the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. It tastes bitter and you're going to like it. <laughs> I know I'm a ma- My coffee's starting to kick in. Can you tell? Mm-hmm. Which is the manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. That ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which also ye, say that next word, Mm. seeing it is a righteous thing (laughs) with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction, take that Jehovah Witness, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. That wasn't loving, sorry. From the glory of his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Verse 11, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified where? And ye what? According to the grace of our Lord, according to the (laughs) grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot there. Are you ready? You ready to unpack it? Paul is saying, why am I so thankful for you? Why am I so thankful? Look at verse number three. We are bound to thank God. What does it say? Always for you. Brethren, it's acceptable because that you're what? Faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Why did Paul feel so strongly about showing gratitude for this church? Why did Paul feel so strongly about showing gratitude for this church? Why do we feel the need, I'm sorry, what do we feel the need to be grateful for? Pausing from this thought, think about this. What do we feel the need to be grateful for? If someone were to say to you, what are you thankful for? It's like the typical answers that like immediately file in like little soldiers in your mind. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my children, right? It's like, here they are. Here you go. Our minds are immediately conditioned to tell everyone what we're so thankful for. And typically most of them are things that we're proud of. I'm so, I'm so proud of these. I'm so thankful for them. When, when at all, Have we, during times of testimony in our church, said, someone raise your hand and tell me what you're thankful for. Man, I'm really thankful for this health problem that the Lord gave me. It's brought me so much closer to him. I'm blown away. We would be like, okay, can we get a little something stronger in our coffee? (laughs) Because that's not what we want. That's not what we like. We're, We're... inevitably thankful for all of the things that are going extremely well. Is that what Paul said he was thankful for? But what are we thankful? My health, my health, my health. We write a song, right? Every country song is about it. Let me give you a scripture. Let me give you a scripture. You ready? I don't think I put this one in there. I'm just pulling from the hip here. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Listen to this. Take it in. Open your ears. Don't shut. Listen, I'm going like this. I'm going like this. You ready? Don't shut me off. Matthew 6, the famous verse is 33. We're going to read 31 through 34. You ready for it? Therefore, take no thought. Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What are you thankful for? Man, I got food in my belly. (laughs) Warm place to lay my head. You're thankful for all the things that the Lord promised to give you? Okay, great. Can we go a little deeper? Matthew 6, 31, take no thought. The very thing that we take thought of, the very thing that's our go-to, the very thing that we're like, fall in trips, here's what we're thankful for, deploy them. 
God's like, don't take thought about that. What we shall eat, what we shall drink, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after, and you should go back and read the beginning part of this too, just for sake of time though. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And then there's a smile, like Matthew put a little smiley face in there. Just kidding. <laughs> for, <laughs> I know I'm not right. I know I'm not right. It's okay. <laughs> for, for, I'm so dumb. For your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of what? All these things. It is laughable. He's like, your heavenly father knows. Are you good? Okay, great. What are you concerned about? I just took five loaves and two fish and five. Everybody, what are you concerned about? Food, what are you concerned about? We're so simple sometimes. The Lord says, take no thought. Don't apply. Listen, Lord knows I only got about that much brain power. And if I give 50% of it to my needs, I only got 50% for the Lord. If I give 90% of my bandwidth to the things that I need, I only got 10%. God is saying, let me take your brain power. Let me take your bandwidth and what you're giving to the things that you think you need. Give it to me and then let your brain work for me. I'm saying it. That, that's, that's what I'm seeing. Take no thought. Here's the verse. But seek ye first the what? Mm, that's something to floss about. <laughs> seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be what? Added unto you. The very thing that you were freaking out about, I promise to give it to you. And if I don't give it to you, it's because I don't want you to have it. Because I'm trying to give you something else. That's what we're scared about this morning. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I wonder how many of us succumb to the evil that was present in this moment because we were unwilling to go without the other things. The Lord was trying to create space for us to beat the present evil, and we succumbed because we were so focused on the things that God had already promised to give us. So let's take our minds, let's, let's go to this place where the first century church was, and what Paul was trying to say to them. They were living for something that the world could not give them. We come here and we're engaging in spiritual warfare today because this is a place where we are looking for God to give us something that we cannot get out there. For people who come in here looking to get the things that they can get out there, you're going to miss the blessing. And if we have a church full of people that are receiving a blessing, God help this area. We're going to see the gospel like wildfire spread. Why? Because we're receiving something that they can't get out there and they're going to come in here and they're going to get it. Because we're going to see the need we're going to be grateful for the things that God is giving us here and not see in here like it is out there. The place where heaven and earth meet in our hearts where the Spirit of God will define what you need, not where you immediately project what you need onto him. What are we thankful for? Going into this season of Thanksgiving, I really think we need to define some things in our life that are worth being grateful for. And let things flow from that. They were living for something far beyond what the physical could give them. 
Go back to verse number three, and we're going to see these two things. And then we're going to wrap this thing up and put a bow on it, okay? We're going to swallow it. Verse number three, it says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. That word bound, it just, it bound me this week. It grabbed me. You ever been reading, you ever reading in the text, and a word just jumps out and just like snags you? When I was reading that, I was like, bound. Paul was saying, I feel, we, we are, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, I'm arrested by the thought. I, I am, oblig, I feel an obligation to deliver what I'm about to say to you to you. So understand that I'm not being flippant with my words. I'm not just picking, I need two points, so here they are. I am literally obligated by the Spirit of God to tell you what I'm about to say. He didn't need to be so emphatic. He felt the need. He's, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it's acceptable, as, it, as it's meet. This is perfectly acceptable. Why? Because that you're what? Faith groweth exceedingly. Well, here's the first thing that we need to understand. Paul, Paul felt so strongly about showing gratitude for this church because, number one, their faith was growing. Their faith was growing. Say it with me. Faith was growing. Turn to your neighbor and say, my faith is growing. That's right. Paul said, I am so beyond grateful for you because your faith is growing. Can you identify? Listen to this question. Go in your heart. Go in the place. Walk down the corridors of your mind. And see what's hanging there. When, when you go in your heart to a spiritual place, this is, I'm just trying to define it for you. When I go to the place internally, when I go to that inward temple where me and the Holy Spirit communicate with God because of the blood of Jesus, and I'm praying to the Father, and I have this community happening, there's a space that that happens inside my heart. There's a space, and walk down that space this morning. Walk down the corridors of your spiritual mind. What's hanging there? What's on the walls? Is it a barren place? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you've only got one chair sitting there that is vacant half the time? Or is it a rich place? Is it a decorated place? Is it a place where you go in your heart where the Spirit of God meets and it's comfortable and it's posh and everything has been hung and put in its right place? Your spiritual life is in order. Walk down the corridors of your mind where you engage in spiritual warfare and prayer. What does it look like? Paul is saying, yours is growing. Your faith, your spiritual place is just exceedingly growing and it's, it's bursting from the seams. There's construction happening. There's walls being knocked out. You're growing spiritually. Your temple is massive. Your coast has been enlarged. And I swear, like, this is incredible. I have to thank the Lord for what he's doing in your faith. Can you identify in your life faith that is growing. Or when I talk about the in, inner corridor, Paul said it, I renew the inward man daily. I think I was in Corinthians. But when you think about your spiritual life, is it a place of growth? Or is it a, is it a place of anemia, of weakness? A place that is desolate, dusty, unkempt, not clean. Paul says, I have to show gratitude 
to this young church. Remember, it's a young church. Why? Because their faith is growing. When we enter this Thanksgiving season, can we think about our spiritual life for a few minutes? Can we think about our relationship with the Lord? Can we think about whether or not it's growing or if it's dying? When was the last time you entered into the presence of the Lord and you came out stronger? Like, I hit the gym daily with my faith. And when I mean the gym, you know what I mean? Like, I'm engaging. I'm growing. Spiritually, the Lord is preparing me for something. Paul looked into this church and he says, I have to write to you that I have so much gratitude for your faith. Let's just be real for a minute. Most churches in America, all of the gratitude is the things that God is doing for that church and through that church, not the inner faith. This week, the Lord challenged me as I was reading this text in a season of my life when I'm thinking about how can we do more as a church, which is very important, but we can't get past the internal growth of faith. That's the most important thing. When was the last time you identified growth in your faith? When was the last time you couldn't get enough of the word and not punching the clock, I gotta at least do a chapter? Look, sometimes those seasons are necessary. We walk through those seasons of, you know, of of a desert time, a desert place, but eventually we find the oasis. Eventually there's breakthrough. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I'll fear no either. Thou art with me. They're going to bring me to the table in the presence of mine enemies. My cup's going to run over. There's both in our seasons of life with the Lord. And when was the last time you identified a growing faith in your relationship with the Lord? If you haven't, change it. If you haven't, invest in your walk with the Lord. I see here that Paul is over the moon with gratitude because their faith was growing. All right, so that first thing, when we talk about thankfulness going into this season, by the time we get to Thanksgiving, as a church, when we're sitting around the table with our families, here's the challenge for you, that the first thing, the first thing on your lips, when, we, when you, before you eat that turkey, before you carve it, when you sit down and hopefully you do this as a family and you pray and you talk about what you're thankful for, I want you to invest in your spiritual life from here till then to the point that it is the first thing on your mind before you eat that meal that I'm just thankful for my faith. I'm thankful for the growth that I've had and what the Lord is showing me and what he's leading me to. It gets, it's gonna get more, hang on. Number two, The rest of verse three, look at it. Your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you, of every one of you all toward each other, what does it say? Aboundeth. So first I'm thankful that your faith is growing, but I'm also thankful that your love is flourishing. Your love is flourishing. It seems to me that the two would be connected. Don't you? I get that sense. You guys have been doing the work of growing and building your faith. Something happened. Maybe they read and 
digested the first letter, right? And now the second letter is just a letter of gratitude. You got it. I, I sent Timothy with a message for the church, and, I, and I, I warned you about some things. I told you to get busy. I told you not to sit on the sidelines because you think that the Lord's going to come any second. And you did. You got busy. You started growing your faith. You started growing in the Lord, and, and you were literally just putting yourself in harm's way. And then what happened? Your love exploded. Wouldn't it be something if our church was a place, and I think it is, but we can do better, We're the, within these walls and without, you come here to get loved. Like, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've been through. There is so much love for you here. It's because it's not dependent upon them. It's coming from a place of growing faith. I'm, I'm not locked in. I'm not bound. You, you see, when, when I first trusted the Lord, I saw that I was in chains. I saw that I was in bondage. And his, my faith in him set me free. And now I got all kind of love. I'm not requiring anything from the people that I'm loving. Nothing. I think about the verse, all of the fruits of the Spirit. Love against such, the Bible says there is no law. That means there's no regulation. There's no regulator, like a diver that, that's, that's jumping into the water who has an oxygen, oxygen tank that has to have a what? A regulator so that he can space it out. The love of God, if we're growing in our faith, we don't need a regulator. We don't have a tank of it. We have an endless supply that no matter who we come across, we can just heap it on. We can love on them. You, you want to do me wrong? You, you want to you be an enemy? You want to wreck me at work? You want to tear apart my relationship? It's okay. All I got is love. I can't even love my enemies. Just try me. My faith is growing so much that I realize that it is not my work, but it's an eternal, redemptive work that this is my Father's world. He is bringing it to pass. He is redeeming everything. And so therefore, all I have is growing love for you. That's what the church should look like. You feel me? Like, Paul's like, I just, I am bound to say this to you. Number one, you're making it happen in your faith. Like, you're growing in your relationship with the Lord. You're enduring trust. You're enduring belief. It means your foundation is unshakable. And from that, you guys are loving everybody. That's what I'm talking about. So challenge number two at the Thanksgiving table this year your children to say, man, it's been nice to have so many new relationships. It's been nice to welcome so many more people into our circle as a family. It's been nice to be able to love so many more people this year. It's not even about your family anymore at Thanksgiving because you are giving so much of your love out that you have so much family. Your church family is now your family you, you are literally just lavishing it upon others. Paul is saying, I'm so thankful for you all growing in that. You think that's how they started? Nope. No. That's something that comes from a faith that's growing. And then a love that's flourishing. Let me, I just wrote three things down. This isn't really the message, but how, what does it look like to increase your capacity of love? 
If you're struggling this morning, even in your faith, and you're like, Lord, I, I need to do more in my faith. I need to grow deeper my foundation and my trust and my enduring belief in you. That, that's great. Awesome. That's going to lead to loving people more. So when you get into that, the prayer it should be, Lord, increase my capacity to love. Some people in our some people in our community can't, they don't have a capacity to love past this. I mean, let's just be real. This is, a, this is capacity. I don't have the capacity to see past the thing that I'm so focused on to love that person. Therefore, this will be in front. Okay, for some of you, this is fear. This is the trauma you had when you were a child. You can't love and see what? Past it. it. Listen, your faith is what will get you past the very challenges, the very barriers of loving through those things. So when, when, when we pray and we say, Lord, help increase my capacity to love, here are three things that, that I think are necessary, just freebies. I want you to write down more things. I want you to think about more areas that you can love better and stronger and, and perpetuate the love of Christ. But here's three. Number one, be present. How can you love and increase your capacity of, of love when you're not around? When you're not present? When so many things are passing you by, it's hard to love in your church community and being there for your neighbors when you're not there. It's gonna take us being present. It's gonna take us being aware. That's the second thing. If we're so fixated, and this goes back to the first conversation on what we need, we're missing what others need. And understand this, Stop, how do I say this nicely? Um, the church should not be calling out all of the reasons why the lost aren't loving people. Does that make sense? The church, I just can't believe the way these people think. I just can't believe the way they vote. I just can't believe the way they act. Well, if they had the foundations of faith that you had, and if you loved them unconditionally and gave them a reason to come, we're expecting from them what the Lord has equipped us to do. The Lord has not equipped them. Does that make sense? You have to not only be present, but you have to be aware. That means spiritually discerning the fact that they can't, they're blind. They're twofold the child of wrath. The third thing I see before we really get into the meat and then go home, 12 before, um, we're doing okay. You gotta be willing. You gotta be willing to love. If you have a barrier in your love and a condition in your love this morning, then you need to go back to your faith. We're gonna identify this morning in the gospel everything that we need to do and that we need to have to love unconditionally. Why do I say that? Look at verse number four and five. Here we go. The landing strip is in sight. Don't listen. If you didn't listen to anything I said thus far, listen to this. What I'm about to say is, it's the bitterness. It's the thing that doesn't taste good. But it's the answer. What I'm about to say, the world doesn't understand. What I'm, what I'm gonna tell you this morning is how you give your testimony to someone and how they will receive it and they cannot deny it by what I'm about to say. Don't miss it. Verse number four, look at it with me. So that we ourselves glory, what does it say? in you, in the churches of God, for your, and 
in all your and okay that ye stay with me read the next verse with me <laughs> and tell me it's tell me it's easy it's not this is this is hard but it's necessary look at the next verse which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also ye what? Why should we be grateful during times of uncertainty and difficulty? Listen to me, church. Why should we be grateful during times of uncertainty and difficulty? Here's what I hear most of the church saying, me included. Why does it have to be this way? Why does ministry have to look this way? Why does there have to be a pandemic? Like, why can't we get back to reaching people? Why are health issues plaguing us? Why do bad things happen to what? That is so far from the gospel. God said, the manifest token, okay, the, let's put it in the trophy. The trophy of God's righteous judgment is when you suffer. That's why the prosperity gospel is so bad. Paul is saying, follow me on this. Don't miss this. Paul is saying when you go through hard times and you endure it, that's a trophy of God's grace. That's a manifest token of God's righteous judgment. How is that possible? Because we understand the gospel. What is the gospel? It is first the death, burial, and then resurrection. You see, we got a whole bunch of Christians that wish that they could just live their lives all the way up until the point of death and then just pray and trust the Lord to save them from all the things they did and then he's gonna come back right away and then we can enjoy eternal life forever. Because we don't wanna endure. That's not the gospel. That's someone who wants to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If we truly believe that suffering is a manifest token, then we will not complain. We will accept. We will have joy through those trying times. Listen to me. Let's just go to the text. Verse number six, look at it. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, we are the ones with the answer. We are the ones that should get the fact that bad things are happening because there is sin in the world. For you to accept the fact, wherefore is by one man, Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, stay with me, stay with me, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have what? Then we'll understand Romans 5.8 that says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? He died for us. He became sin who knew no what? That we might be made the? (laughs) When we engage in suffering, when we engage in hardship, we are picking up our cross that he has for us to carry. 
The world does not understand hardship. All the world wants to do is make more money. All the world wants to do is pacify the pain. All the world wants to do is take a magic pill. All the world wants to do is have the vaccine. All they have is this short little life that all they can do is make it as easy as possible in the morphine drip of a job, the morphine drip of the money, the morphine drip of good health, the morphine drip of a nice house, the morphine drip of a nice car. There's nothing that goes beyond it. But Jesus Christ knew from the eternal riches of his glory that we would not be able to save ourselves. So what did he do? He sent his son. And when Jesus came and died on the cross of Jesus Christ, he bore our iniquities. He bore our sorrow. And that's why, listen to me, it pleased the father to bruise his son. Why? Because he understood that out of that pain came purpose. Out of that suffering, by his stripes, we are what? Healed. We are the only ones that understand that suffering, listen, suffering is the path to life. And this isn't in this masochistic sort of way. It's understanding that any time death comes, any time hardship comes, it is the purging of a sin nature and the bringing about of God's kingdom. If there was no resistance, if there was no flood, if there was no judgment, then literally what we have around us would cease to exist. Our world would implode The very sin nature would tear the fabric of our entire ecosystem and it would literally burst in flames. If the Lord had not come in his first advent to bring about righteousness, to bring about redemption, to redeem, to buy back, and and if the world would have been left to its sinful devices, we would not have it. It would cease to exist. Left in our sin, we would burn in a devil's hell. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The Savior understood that the cup of wrath that he endured on the cross was necessary to bring about the kingdom of God because of our sin. When we peer into the life of Christ and we see what he endured on our behalf, what we put upon him, the suffering that he walked through, that he endured because of our sinful nature, and we accept that, and are redeemed and bought back because of the price that he paid, we count it worthy to suffer for his sake. We count it worthy. This is what Paul is saying. When you now engage in suffering, when you now engage in hardship, when you walk through those turbulent waters and those trying times, you're picking up the cross and you're doing it with purpose. You're saying, now I have a chance to endure something to show that I actually believe what Jesus did was right and pure and true. But when you resist it, you're saying, It's not effective. The suffering that Jesus did on the cross had no power in it. Therefore, I will not engage in suffering myself. How many Christians resist the power that they have in the resurrection because they don't want to endure the suffering that the cross brings? I know this is like the bitter waters. I know this is something that is hard to accept. But you... (laughs) that believe the gospel, you are the only ones that have a plausible explanation for suffering. In the entire world, in the entire cosmos of worldviews, 
The Christian worldview is the only one that explains purpose and suffering and brings about God's plan through pain. So think about when you're not grateful for that thing that the Lord brought in your life, when you're not grateful for that health problem, when you're not grateful for that relational issue, what you're saying to the Lord is the cross is of no effect. Paul is saying, when you suffer, it is a trophy. It's a manifest token that you actually believe what you said you believed, that suffering actually brings about salvation. And it's your responsibility, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so thankful that you as a church have owned this. Why are we as a church complaining more than sharing about our suffering? Let me explain to you that I know the whole world groans waiting for the Lord to come back. It doesn't mean that we're, the Lord says to look forward to his coming, and we're going to talk about it next week. We can look forward to that day that he fulfills and rights every wrong, but until then, you have purpose in the pain. Don't run from the pain. Those stripes were the same stripes that you were healed by, and now you have purpose to walk through those things. That's how we have joy in the midst of sorrow. Why should we be grateful during times of uncertainty and difficulty? Because we discern the gospel exchange. I discern, verse 6, I see that the Lord is recompensing. I see that the Lord is redeeming this. I see that my suffering is but for a what, James says, a moment. It's a light affliction. I'm ready to endure it because I see the gospel exchange. You have perspective. This is worse than it's ever been. Good. We get a bigger trophy. And tell Stephen it's worse than it's ever been as he was getting stoned and bitten to death. I'm just saying. Let's, let's flip the script in our minds and see that whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall what? I get it. The gospel exchange. This makes so much sense. Jesus was an example for us to follow. He wasn't a replacement for. He wasn't, I did this so you don't have to do it. No, we willingly go into that. He leads us into the life of sanctification that will become glorified one day. But we see the spiritual is all that matters. And so if we can endure those things, by now our stripes, they are healed. That's being Christ-like. Y'all are like, uh-uh, I didn't know what I signed up for. Shoot, where's the exit button? <laughs> Eject. Eject. I thought I come to church and everything's better. Ah, uh, no. Eh, no. <sighs> the gospel exchange. Because we know what's at stake. Look at verse 10. You're not off the hook yet. Come on. It's still bitter and I get it. Keep swallowing. Verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that what? Because our what? Mm-hmm. Was among you that believe. When's that song, My Testimony? That's coming up, isn't it? That's coming up. Your testimony. Why do we endure hard things and suffering? Because we know what's at stake. If the Lord were to come back and we are fully redeemed and glorified, everybody who doesn't understand the gospel exchange, what happens? They are completely burned up. They go to a devil's hell. If, 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 if this is God's righteous judgment is to redeem the world and he gave a plan, we know the plan. He proved that plan by doing it himself. We don't have a God that says, go, go, go die. 
while he sits in the castle, while he is on his throne telling all of his minions to do his bidding. No, no, no. We have a God that left heaven, that left his throne, that proved his love, that took the first step. He came to me when I could not go to where he was. That's how we know it's, it's the truth. It's the way. This is the way. <laughs> anyway, I love the men warning. The point is this. We understand the gospel exchange, so therefore we know what's at, at stake. Stop whining and complaining. Lost people need to see you go through suffering with the right attitude, okay? Okay, are we good? Are we all on the same page? Okay, moving on. They need it. The world needs to see a difference in us. And I don't mean you wear different clothes. I mean you wear a different spirit. You wear a different spirit when you walk through these things. You welcome it. They don't understand that. That's foreign to them. Because we know it's the only thing that's not fake. Look at verse number 12. He wants to identify you in him and he what? In you. The only, uh, right here, look at me. The only life worth living is the cross life. The only time we're actually glorified in him and he in us is when we're enduring that life, when we're bearing that cross. Everything else, listen, wouldn't it be something for the devil to walk alongside of you and give you all the things to keep you from the main thing? The only thing that is not fake in this world is spirit living. Physical, temporal living, physical, some of y'all, need to just repent. Some of y'all just need to say like, I have literally been sidetracked with this physical world. I have been thankful for everything around me instead of the great Holy One in me. It's the only thing, this life that I'm talking about, this life of suffering, this life that endures, this life of joy of walking through whatever the Lord has for us is the only thing that's not fake. Prove it, okay. First Corinthians three, nine through 16, and I close with this. For we are God's coworkers, ye are God's fields. God's building, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one must be careful, listen to the word of God, but each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and the spirit of God lives in you? Church, only what's done for Christ will last. Only the gospel's perspective and the gospel exchange will bring weight and value to your deepest pain. Every head bowed, every eye.